for Faith Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the sixth Sunday after Pentecost for the week of July 4th. 2021, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and it's just an exciting year here in the Northern Hemisphere being in midsummer, and here in the United States, where I am from, this is our Independence Day weekend, especially July 4th being Independence Day here in the States, so it's just an exciting time, but I think it's also just something that it's really can be this great unifier for at least here in the States for a moment in time to be able to kind of look beyond some of the different things that separate us. And I think in this time and then this place at this moment, we're needing more of those, not just within the United States, but within the world, figuring out ways that we're able to connect together and be united in one idea, one mission, one look forward is something that we're all striving for and looking for. And sometimes to be able to do that, we need to be challenged and we need to be able to listen to each other in ways that otherwise make it difficult to be in relationship. So it's an exciting time that way. And it's a good time of year to be able to potentially kind of look and get around some of these issues that we sometimes come up with. And I think it kind of leads decently well into this Twitter question from last week, which is, where are you going to find something that is typically overlooked? And I think for me, the last week, one of the things that I've dug into some is I have overlooked this heat wave that's hit the Western United States really, really hard, and especially how that's affected Lake Mead. Lake Mead being a major water source for Los Angeles, San Diego, Phoenix, Las Vegas, a major part of the Southwest, and that there are some major concerns. And I know where I am at right now, they're talking that we're behind, we're in a drought with water, and there's been some questions on fireworks because of how dry the area is. And so to be thinking about this, and especially that it's been predicted as one of the major things that we'll be dealing with here over the next probably decade is water, it kind of is something that I feel like we have overlooked for a long time, but it's something that's really, really valuable, and it's something that we probably shouldn't be overlooking as much as we have been. So let's kind of jump into these texts a little bit because there's a lot here and a lot of ground that we're trying to cover this week. So one of your options for the Old Testament text this week is from 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 to 5 and 9 and 10. And this is one of the places, because King David kind of expands the kingdom and reunites Israel, this is one of the moments where he is being recognized as king. And what is kind of interesting in this text is how the people are looking at him as it even states in verse 2, looking at him as a shepherd, as a ruler over Israel because he's led them through so much with King Saul, but also through battles. And in this, they're understanding that he is going to work with the people and try to build them up. And they are recognizing that the God is within him and is working through him. So it's kind of an interesting transitional text if you've been following that storyline. The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 48, all 14 verses. And again, this is definitely a praise psalm. And recognizing in this, which I think is really unique, 
that we panic over all these things. Leaders panic over so many different things. But when we ponder and spend time on the steadfast love of God and how he continues to provide a way for us and continues to provide for us, then we understand how great of a leader God is and how much God is above what we can understand and is above what we can conceive in a lot of moments, that God has kind of got it figured out. The other Old Testament text is from Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. This is God coming to Ezekiel and telling him, I'm going to be sending you to the people of Israel who have rebelled against me. And this is going to be a difficult tax. They're going to be stubborn. But I am sending you to them to say, I am the Lord. And I really like verse 5 here. Whether they hear or refuse to hear, in quotes, for they are a rebellious house, end quote, they shall know that there has been a prophet among them. That's just such a powerful, amazing statement that they shall know that a prophet is among them, even if they don't agree with it. So this kind of an interesting little interplay there. The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 123, the four verses that that contains. And again, it continues to be this praise idea. But again, it's looking and understanding that especially in this, that God is above all these things. And with God being in control, that then we should be giving God the praise that he desires and the praise that he deserves by just recognizing that how much God does do for us. And that's one of the things that I think is just really, really neat. The second reading or New Testament reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 to 10. And this is kind of a time where Paul goes a little bit more personal and starts recognizing that God has talked to him at different times, but it's not here for him to boast. And he starts, especially in verse 5, that it's recognizing that God comes in in the weakness to make him who he is. And I really kind of like verses 9 and 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. So this idea of working around the weaknesses that we naturally have, that God has given us, those are places where God wants to come in and become stronger within us, but only when we recognize that it's God coming in and doing that work. Really, really cool text. The gospel text this week is out of Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. So again, remembering that we're still fairly early on here in the gospel, according to Mark and Jesus's ministry in there, Jesus returns to his hometown and is teaching in the synagogue. People start questioning him and saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Mary and this person that we know, the carpenter's son? Interesting note that We never hear the name of Joseph brought up in all this, but just recognizing that isn't this the person that we know? 
Jesus then says in verse 4, Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And Jesus does a few healings, but really can't do that much. The second half of this text is him sending out the disciples for the first time, two by two, saying that don't bring an extra tunic, don't bring all the bread or money or all these different things, but wear sandals. And when you get there, allow this to be kind of your testimony that, you know, the shaking the dust off and being able to say that all should repent, that at this moment they don't fully know who Jesus is, but that they should repent. And it states then in verse 13 that they casted out demons and anointed oil to many who were sick and cured them so that they had some cool healing powers here at this moment, that they did some small miracles here, which are pretty awesome, especially for these disciples who are still early on in the ministry. But it's also the sending out that I think is pretty amazing here that Jesus getting a probably a moment by himself early on in his ministry. But before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do our shameless plug. Whoa! Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainwaves podcasts, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help bring you this podcast. But I would be remiss to also shout out the lectionary from Vanderbilt.edu. I really like them being able to have all the readings together in one spot, along with having art to go along with it. Both these resources really help make this podcast what it is and gives me some background to be able to think about these texts before I even go into the science side of this. So if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org or the lectionary from vanderbilt.edu, I'd highly recommend both of them. We have some anointing this week. We have some sending out this week. And we also have this talk of recognition of weakness making us strong. A lot to digest and a lot to think about and a lot of getting out of a comfort zone. I look at the Ezekiel text this week and I think even getting into the second Samuel text, both of those being uncomfortable. David being announced as king and okay, yes, you've been such a great leader. Go ahead, be this king that Saul wasn't. Okay, kind of some pressure loading there. Ezekiel even being stated, like, I'm sending you into a place where you are not going to be necessarily well-liked. And there are going to be people who aren't going to listen. And I need you to go there. Okay. And that then still gets into talking about the weakness. And we notice even a moment where Jesus recognizes that in this place, They aren't ready for his message or aren't able to hear it. They're critical of what Jesus is stating. It's an interesting thing to be thinking about. But I started thinking about this from this perspective of the sending out. Jesus sending out the disciples. God sending Ezekiel. God giving David this opportunity and sending him into kingdomship. Paul recognizing in my weakness that that's when I'm strong. And that takes experience. That's cause from sending out. We look at the Psalms this week. It's the recognition of what God is doing. And again, that comes from life experience. And again, thinking back to the tour question last week where things we have overlooked and we should appreciate, I started thinking about migration. 
We've talked about Sandhill Crane migration. We've talked about all these, and I'll attach some links down below. But migration is no small joke, no easy task. I found a text here coming from the Royal Society Publishing on Evolutionary Biology, the cost of migration with spoonbills. And noticing that the further distance, and these were spoonbills over in Europe, the further distance, and they were looking at a population in the Netherlands, were traveling further, their most vulnerable time was the spring migration. The rest of the year, as long as they could get there and get fed initially, then they were okay. But they're very vulnerable during the spring migration going back, which makes some sense because they weren't able to necessarily track the fall migration as much there. But being extremely vulnerable and that the further that they traveled, the more likely they were not to make it through. We often don't think about migration much because especially as human beings, homo sapiens, we don't think of a huge migration. We think of traveling up to the cabin and it's in a climate controlled vehicle typically of some nature. And thus it's easy for us if we decide that we want to move most of the time, especially in most developed nations. But that isn't the case for a lot of these guys. When you're looking at like caribou, and how they'll travel 4,000 kilometers to have their calving area, and part of it to probably find higher quality vegetation to eat. But 4,000 kilometers is the width of the United States from coast to coast. That's huge. Or take the Arctic Turn for another example. And these are all coming from examples from SciShow, and the links will be down below. I'd highly recommend checking this out. The Arctic Turn travels pole to pole every year and back as part of its migration. And it's the bird that sees the most sunlight of anything. It's the animal that sees the most sunlight of anything. And it's about a 15,000 kilometer journey. But in that, because they're wanting to potentially fly with the wind at their back and be able to eat in the best areas, the trip can take up to five times longer than that to be able to do. We have simple things like zooplankton, which again are aquatic organisms about the thickness of a dime, but they'll do di-vertical migration where they go down during the day and then up during the night. And the thought is to help prevent them being, from being eaten by predators. But this simple migration of up and down every day as a group doing it. The bar-headed goose, which is another crazy, crazy species, the highest altitude migration of anything, up to 7,000 meters, which is about 2,000 meters below where commercial airlines fly. And the reason is they have to get up over the Himalayans. They aren't exactly sure what the advantage is, if that's the advantage, is just no one else is up there, or was this the old route and the Himalayans got in the way, so they had to keep going higher and higher. But in that, they have special proteins in their blood to help absorb oxygen at the high levels. They have small blood vessels around cells to help, again, improve oxygen to the muscles. And they can lower their own metabolism and change the way they fly to conserve oxygen. That's just some simple examples. That doesn't even get into the examples like we know, like emperor penguins and how they do travel across the Antarctic in the winter the females lay the eggs and give them to the males and they wander back to eat. But then the males 
hanging back with the young and letting them grow and then also having to wait for the young to get their waterproof feathers. It's a process, but it's also a process that changes them. If you look through all these examples, there's a reason on why they migrate. And part of that migration, be it up and down or flying from pole to pole, changes them. There's a reason on why they do that. I don't think an Arctic tern just decides to do over a 15,000 kilometer journey just for kicks. They're partially following and making sure they have a food source and that they're able to survive. But again, in doing that, there's a lot of vulnerability in that. There's a lot of trust that a bird has to have to be able to trust that that's going to be there, that the food that they're going to need is going to be there to be able to survive something like that. I'll attach another video down below talking about mule deer here in the United States and how in Wyoming there was a mule deer population. They didn't think migrated until they actually put GPS collars on them. And what's remarkable isn't necessarily the distance. It's about 150 miles to 200 miles. What's remarkable is the obstacles that are in the way. The mountains and the terrain, crossing water runnage and small rivers, crossing fencing and figuring out how they're going to be able to jump over or crawl under, along with major highways that we have created to migrate through. All for this part of it instinct, part of it's also to survive, to be able to get to the places where they are needing to be. I see that Jesus sending these disciples out two by two was partially to show them some of the weaknesses that they had and them probably being overwhelmed with what they have to do and how God fills in and helps in those moments. And that it even states there in verse 13 that they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. They haven't been around this Jesus guy that long and yet they were able to do this. I don't think any of them really knew that they had this ability. I don't think this was something that was part of the Jesus seminar that they were probably having as they were walking is how do you cure and cast out demons? It fits so well with what we're hearing from Paul that in their weakness, the power of Christ then is able to dwell and help. And I just find it interesting is here you have David being told, like taking over this reign, and we know that it's in a lot of ways successful, but there's there's shortcomings. But yet it's realizing that God was able to step in and, and fill him up, him probably being overwhelmed. Ezekiel, in the same way, this is gonna be a hard task, but I'm gonna put you through it. And the Psalms recognizing that when we realize just being overwhelmed by what God can do. It's in those moments that then we are actually able to have the Holy Spirit stir within us and to be able to do things that we didn't know were conceivable. We know of so many different migrations from monarch butterflies to bird migrations. And the thing that's remarkable to me about them is the amount of trust, the amount of trust. And there isn't really a chance for them to complain, just the belief that the food is going to be there. The habitat's going to be there. The things that they're going to need to survive are there. But to do that, they have to leave their comfort zone. Now, most of these animals that I've even brought up, they're not single isolated species. The kind of the exception being the Arctic terns a little bit, but again, it'll still fly in small groups. This isn't meant to be 
individual. And we even see that with Christ sending his disciples out two by two. And we know the power of a herd or of a flock for protection. But yet they were still having to walk out together and to be challenged together to face this. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I feel that we have a lot of challenges sitting in front of us. With me being in the United States, I'm in the privileged position to feel like we're on the back half of the COVID-19 pandemic and we very much could be still in the middle of it. There are other places that aren't as blessed as I am at this moment with where the United States is with how we are handling the pandemic. And we have also seen from different cases from around the world how fast that can change. We're in a place where there are a lot of global questions that we have to take on, not even just the pandemic. When we're starting to see more and more of the warmest years, year after year after year after year on record, and when are we going to take that seriously? When are we going to recognize that this is a difficult question? We all have to be in on it and working together on it. The thing that I'm seeing in these is these migrations, even if they know it, they still have to go and do it. And they still are going to take a slightly different route every time. And it's still going to be a challenge and it's still going to be hard. But the recognition that we get in the Psalms and the recognition we get in these texts is that God is not going to abandon us. So even when we are confronted with these difficult tasks of flying over the Himalayas, we figure out a way of doing it together. We evolve as people. When I was researching the bar-headed goose and started just hearing all the different ways that it has been adapted to be able to do that, it's remarkable. I just thought about how amazing and crazy it is to be able to fly that high. And even though we don't necessarily understand it completely why, just the adaptations that it's made to be able to do that. Are we willing to reach out to make those migrations, those hard steps, those things that leave us in vulnerable positions? Like we talked about with the spoonbills, that migration is not easy. It leaves them vulnerable. They have to build up fat reserves and then burn them and hope that they have made, had enough fat reserves to make it. Or if they're stopping along the way to make sure that there's enough food in those places that they stop to be able to be eaten so that they can refuel to be able to continue on this monumental journey. Is our life not the same way? Are we not preparing ourselves to be able to do these? And it might be a spiritual journey as much as it is a physical journey, as much as it is as when we face big global questions together. I try thinking about what the disciples must have thought as they were being sent out two by two and told to bring very little with them. Did they feel ready for this? Did they think Jesus had completely gone off his rocker after being rejected by his hometown? Jesus understood the value of being put out there. These animals, I would argue, realized the importance of moving and changing things up and that we need that for growth. And when I look at the church, the world, where we're at, the idea that we're able to keep things the same is such crazy thought. There's no way we can ever repeat a year the exact same way as it was before. We are always moving forward. It's just a question of are we doing it together? Are we working together and realizing when we are weak, the times we need to feed and have each other take care of each other to make sure that we're on this journey together? That's the hard thing. 
So the Twitter question I have for you this week is, where are you allowing yourself to be weak to let God come in? Where are you allowing yourself to be weak to let God come in? We love having these nice images of ourselves, at least in our head, and how strong and how we have all these different gifts and abilities. And maybe that is our problem, is we get in our own way that we don't let ourselves be vulnerable enough. We don't put ourselves in these opportunities to potentially have a difficult time. And yet here Jesus shows that the disciples were able to do amazing things when put in that situation. And I know for myself, I don't put myself in those situations enough. It's difficult. It's difficult being that type of vulnerable with yourself. But yet I think it's those moments where God really steps in. And I think those moments when I am being so vulnerable, so weak, in certain ways, feels pitiful versus an Arctic turn doing five times 15,000, so 75,000 kilometers of a journey that they'll repeat year after year. I just really sometimes wonder if we are really being vulnerable enough with ourselves and then letting God be in that vulnerability. It's hard being vulnerable. It's hard putting yourself out there. But yet, when I look at these stories of migration and how much these animals have grown because of what they're doing to find better quality vegetation for caribou, to be able to have better food and be able to have the wind at their back for the Arctic turn, for zooplankton probably be have less predation as the prevailing hypothesis. All this modification that the bar-headed goose has gone through, and we don't even understand why they do the route that they do. The emperor penguins having this amazing thing, this thing we've talked about in movies and documentaries, but that's just life. I sometimes wonder, as we being the tender of this garden, if we have made our lives too easy, that we overlook these things of difficulty that potentially are opportunities where God is trying to knock on the door. And we don't want to let them in because we know it would be difficult. But I understand as I look at this faith and look at what these animals have done that maybe that's what we need to be looking at and considering. Because maybe that's where God fills in the most is when I am weak. And I know from the different times in my life when I have been, I know God has shown up. And maybe these animals show that it's we need to make a regular practice of it in some small way that maybe only God knows. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.